now that we're all crying after that song, thank you, Grady, for that. What a beautiful song. I don't think I'd ever sung that before, but it certainly is very touching to those of us who are parents, thinking about the great task that we have, the great blessing we have of raising our children. Of course, it's Mother's Day. We're here to celebrate the Lord, but we are thankful for the mothers who are among us, and I want to talk a little bit about what the Bible says about mother. Uh, may not be the kind of lesson you're thinking of. It's not a typical lesson for me. I'm not typically tied very much to the, the holidays and doing a lesson that ties in with that, but I think this is a subject that is very biblical and uh, somewhat surprising when you look at the way God has used mothers through the Bible. And I wanted to take a short walk uh, today with you through some of these texts that talk about motherhood. What I think is interesting is that the very first text we find from the very beginning, if you go back with me to Genesis chapter 2, the first time the word mother is actually mentioned is in Genesis 2.24. At the first marriage, this is God's uh, commentary on marriage. Genesis 2 verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But technically, there had been no mothers at this point yet. God had created this first couple. He had just made the woman from the rib of Adam and brought her to him. And Adam said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then God says this about a man leaving his father and mother. I think there's something we can see in this, that God begins to speak of a mother before there ever had been one. Here is a woman who's going to be a mother. We know that from the history, but she's not yet, and there was none before her. But obviously it is God who has designed and planned for motherhood. And he's even telling them this at marriage when they first come together. But if you go back to Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, at the creation of man in the account there in Genesis 1, God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The great blessing of the couple was that they would be able to be fruitful and multiply. The idea of having children was already inherent. But there's something else that's interesting in this text. It is that mothers, like fathers, are made in the image of God. Both male and female, he made them in his image. There is a push sometimes to sort of effeminize God. Yeah, some people will talk about the God-mother or call God the goddess in very blasphemous language that's used many times. And so we may sort of cringe in fear of thinking there's something of motherness in God. God is always depicted as he in the Bible, but there's something in motherhood that reflects his nature. He made women to reflect his nature. He made mothers in some way to reflect his nature. And I think Paul, perhaps, the Apostle Paul, calls on that concept for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's talking about the great love he has for the church in Thessalonica. And the description he uses is of a mother. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8. He says, uh, really, at verse 6, we did not seek glory from men, either from uh, you or from others, and we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Then verse 7, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you 
not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. We need to think about that for just a moment. This idea of Paul treating them with the affection of a nursing mother. That is something he learned from God. There's an affection from God for us. He says, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, even at three in the morning, she's cherishing that child as she's making the sacrifice of her own body, of her own rest, of her own needs, at the benefit of that child who is helpless and needs her. That's what Paul is saying he did for the Thessalonians, that he gave up his own freedoms in a sense. He'll say that later to the Corinthians. He'll say that in other places. He made himself a slave to their needs. He became what they needed. There's the nurturing of a mother involved in that. What a great image of motherhood. And Paul taps into that idea. This is what we would expect from God, but it's also what God expects from us as we're serving one another. Do we have the affection toward one another that a nursing mother has as she cherishes her own child? Are we willing to be up late at night to help a brother or sister who's in need? Do we have that sort of motherly nurturing affection? I know many women who have done that. I know some men who have also done that. But what a blessing to understand that sort of motherly nature that God has put within us and the example of good mothers in that. So from the beginning, mothers are in God's plan. He's been speaking since Genesis 1 of the fact they'd be fruitful and multiply. At marriage, he begins to speak of leaving father and mother, the one who's nurtured you. You're going to now cling to someone else, and you're going to begin a nurturing relationship of your own. But after the fall, things took sort of a drastic change. If I go back to Genesis chapter 3 now with me. Genesis 3.20 is the second time in the Bible that the word mother is used. And this time, it's already pointing to God's plan of salvation. Genesis 3, verse 20. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, I want you to consider the context here in Genesis 3, 20. They're facing death. This is, they've been told, you have got the curse of death on you. You ate from what you weren't supposed to eat of. Verse 19, God said to Adam, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Those are heavy, heavy words. That's the condemnation that is just after sin. But even though they're facing death, Adam sees hope in Eve. In fact, the name he gives her, Eve, literally means life or living. He gave her that name because she would become the mother of all living. There's great hope in these verses. As we go on, continuing through the end of chapter 3 and God resolving this issue of getting them out of the garden where they won't continue in sin and have access to the tree of life. And he sends them out to till the earth from which they had been taken. He puts up the cherubim so they can't just get right back in. But look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. When we see Genesis 3.20 and Genesis 4.1 in that close context, right on the heels of the condemnation that they deserved, we begin to see this real hope. They have hope because they have accepted God's plan for them. It's a plan that God said was going to involve her great pain as she was bringing forth children. This sort of sacrificial involvement 
in the plan that would bring about the one who would bruise the serpent's heel. And so she recognizes in Genesis 4.1, I have acquired a man from the Lord. I believe she's thinking of the promise that he's going to send a seed through her to bruise the serpent's head. We clearly see that in Genesis 5. As the generations continue on and children are being born, as she says here, I've acquired a man with the help of the Lord, look at Genesis 5 when Lamech has his child. This is Genesis 5 verse 28. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. You think Lamech's thinking of that promise back in Genesis 3, 15, and 16 that Eve first mentioned here and that Adam saw as the hope in her? Absolutely, Lamech was thinking of that. He very clearly says that. And so after the fall, Mothers are tied to the plan of salvation. Without mothers, there can be no seed to continue to eventually raise up the Christ. So from the beginning, mothers are in God's plan after the fall, specifically tied to this role of salvation. And so as we go through the Bible, we see mothers carrying out the plan that God put in place. And I think it's an amazing thing. You want to consider how many barren women gave birth in Israel. You think of perhaps Hannah. You think of uh, Elizabeth in the New Testament who gave birth to John. You think of others who were prayed for for a long time, such as Sarah and Rebecca, and then finally were able to give birth, sometimes in their very old age, sometimes impossible, what God did to bring about this hope in Israel that would continue the lineage and work toward the Christ. What we see in that is that mothers who fulfill their roles carry God's plan forward for other people. Notice I didn't put that in the past tense. Not mothers who fulfilled their roles. Mothers who fulfill their roles faithfully carry out God's plan for other people. Look with me at Matthew chapter 1. We spoke of some of the unlikely women in the Bible who were barren, who were sterile, who ended up being able to have children. When you look at Jesus' lineage in Matthew chapter 1, there are five women mentioned, and they're all extremely unlikely women. This is such a beautiful study of motherhood in a weird sort of way. When you look at Matthew chapter 1, I want to read just a few verses here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron and Hezron begot Ram. Verses 5 and 6. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And then jump down to verse 16. Still in the same lineage of Judah here. And Jacob begot Joseph the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. Isn't it interesting that in this long genealogy of men's names as we're following the lineage of Judah and the promise, we have five women sort of sprinkled in. And something fascinating about all of these women, they're unlikely mothers, certainly unlikely to be in Jesus' lineage. Tamar, in verse 3, was a widow, a multiple-time widow, who bore twins to her (laughs) father-in-law. He went into her thinking she was a prostitute. And she bore twins to him, one of whom 
was in the lineage of Christ. <coughs> Rahab, in verse 5, we know, was a Canaanite prostitute. The first two women had been either a prostitute or mistaken for a prostitute or acting as a prostitute. Canaanite. And then Ruth, she's a widow from Moab who gives birth to one who's in the lineage of the Christ, directly in the lineage of David. And then there's Bathsheba. She's described as the one who had been the wife of Uriah, another widow, widowed by David, who sent Uriah to be killed, and then took Bathsheba to comfort her as his wife, after he'd already gone into her once before, and that child died. So this widow, from a foreign man in the end, who had been one of David's great warriors, gives birth to Solomon, who's directly in a lineage to Christ. And then, of course, Mary, verse 16, a betrothed virgin who becomes pregnant, not by her betrothed fiancé, husband. But God caused all of these mothers to carry forward the promise. All of these mothers, in their own way, became faithful to the mission that God had set out, whether initially, initially they had designed to do that or not, they all turned in to faithful mothers who bore these sons in the lineage of Jesus. What a blessing to see that. And then as we get into the New Testament, I believe Paul is thinking of this same concept. It's so often in Romans and in 1 Timothy and other places that Paul makes connections to the book of Genesis. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in the context where he's speaking of men's and women's roles. Of course, something we first see in Genesis, very clearly lined out. In the first part of 1 Timothy 2, he speaks about men praying in everywhere, lifting up holy hands, men doing this public work, while the women, who in a like manner, starting in verse 9, do the work of adorning themselves modestly and being quiet, basically, in the way that they live their lives. They're not addressing the public in the same direct way that men are, Yet indirectly, they're addressing the public with their godly lives and their profession of godliness, it says in verse 10, with their good works as they continue this mission that God has given them. But look at verse 11, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15 now. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. The language is a little bit difficult here, but I don't think that what Paul is saying is that women can only be saved if they bear children. That's not the point here. He's looking at the distinction of roles, something that was handed down in Genesis, something that Eve understood she was tied to if she was going to further this process of the promise that God had involved her in. And unfortunately, in our society, and already in first century society, women had been getting away from that. They didn't want to see themselves involved in only this part of the process. They wanted leadership roles. They wanted to do things in a different way and were getting away from the simplicity of what God had established. Now, by the first century, certainly the Christ had already come, but is that the end of God's plan? The Christ came and so now we're all done? No, the mission needs to be carried forward. And women who live these lives professing their godliness with good works, women who bear children and continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control and instill that in their children will carry the message 
and the mission forward. In fact, we begin to see that when we look into some things he says in 2 Timothy about a young man who had a grandmother and a mother who did just those things, and therefore he was able to do great things. I believe Paul is clearly considering Genesis 3 here. So just as is the case that mothers brought about the Christ, we saw five in his lineage there. There were several others. Obviously, every generation there was a mother involved. There were five who were mentioned specifically. But every generation there was a mother involved in the promise to bring forth the Christ. Without mothers today, though, there could be no elders. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3 at the qualifications of elders. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, a bishop, an elder, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. So he is the husband of one wife, and he has children. <laughs> that makes that wife a mother. <laughs> That's the definition here. So he cannot be an elder unless he's married to a mother. <laughs> She's very much involved in his qualifications because together they've learned how to rule a household and therefore shown their ability to rule the household of God. That's what's being looked at here. So there could be no elders without being mothers involved. There could be no evangelists. Every evangelist I've ever met had a mother. <laughs> Whether or not she was faithful to Christ, she, he was born somehow. <laughs> Mothers are involved in that. And if there are no evangelists and elders, there can be no proper equipping of the saints for their ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, text we know well, but consider it in this context of godly women bearing godly seed who will continue to produce godly offspring for the Lord in service to the Lord. He himself gave some, it says in Ephesians 4.11, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We could go on in the reading there, but the point is made. Without mothers, these actions would be impossible. There's a need for that. And then as we saw, Timothy's, Timothy's mother had prepared him. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, right before the text we know so well about the word uh, being, uh, all scripture being given by inspiration of God, verse 15 tells us that Timothy from childhood has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. How does he just happen to know those? Well, in Acts 16, we discover his father is not a believer. His father's Greek. His mother had been a Jew, apparently now a Christian, converted. But Timothy had learned the Scriptures from his mother and from his grandmother, Eunice. In Acts chapter 16, when we meet Timothy for the first time, this is a beautiful picture uh, and I believe this speaks as much to her as it does to him. The testimony here is about Timothy. But I think it speaks a lot about his mother when we fill out the rest of the details here with 2 Timothy. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. He came to Derbe and Lystra, this is Paul, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with them. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. 
And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Here's a dedicated young man. He's been already going around to the cities in the region. He's got a good name among the brethren there because of the work he's been doing. Encouraged by, obviously, his mother, not by his father. So much his father was against things that he had not yet been circumcised. It would have been the father's decision, perhaps, for that anyway. But here's what happens. A man who, in two chapters before, Acts 14, verse 19, the first time he came to your town, was stoned and left for dead, comes back through and sees your teenage son and says, I'd like to take him with me on this dangerous missionary journey I'm on. And the mother says, he's ready. Take him. (laughs) That's a hard thing. I'm thinking of that as a father. (laughs) That is a hard thing. (laughs) Someone comes along and says, I want to take your son, who's 16. I want to take him to Sierra Leone. I want to have him work with me in the ministry there. I would encourage that, but boy, that would be hard. Because I know what a dangerous work that is. What dangerous places these are. She saw, perhaps, most likely, she saw Paul stoned and left for dead. And yet she was willing to send her son. That's a mother who's thinking of the mission of Christ. She's thinking first of his kingdom and his righteousness. And she knows that good things will be added to her and to the son because of that. So mothers carried out the plan and still do. They carry out God's plan in hope because they're involved in the sacrifice of being mothers who will send forth the message. But of course, not all will be physical mothers. There's a great blessing And just being a mother to somebody, even if you physically didn't give birth to them, spiritual mothers have a part in God's plan. I am telling you now, I'm so grateful for many mothers who are not my physical mothers. Some of you know who you are. And others in other congregations who raised me because my parents aren't Christians. But early on, I was taken in. I had a home anywhere I went. And there were mothers who were raising me and teaching me and bringing me along. In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, we see some who are to act as mothers. Titus chapter 2. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. These older women acting as mothers, teaching the younger women, and all of this to the benefit of God's Word. In other words, carrying forward the mission. Again, we see how important mothers and their teaching are in this plan. In Romans 16, 13, I think this is beautiful. We talked about this when we studied Romans recently. Uh, And some have questioned, you know, Paul mentions so many people by name, and then he mentions this woman and doesn't mention her name. And I think there's an intimate reason why. Romans 16, verse 13 He speaks of Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and mine. (laughs) Now, he could have mentioned her name. He might have wanted other people to know her, but most people call their mother mom. (laughs) She's mother to me. And that's what he says about her here. Oh, and Rufus and his mother, she knows who she is. She's my mother too. (laughs) Uh, That's just a kind of a beautiful, intimate way to describe this woman who had helped raise Paul. Here's a single man who's traveling all over the place, and he's doing all of these things for the service of the Lord, and he's been taken in by spiritual mothers in other places as he's gone about. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
There's sort of a reading between the lines here, but I think you'll, if you'll bear with me, I think you'll see where I'm heading with this. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 10, speaking of the widows that could be taken into the role there. He says, starting in verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. You notice that several of the women in Jesus' lineage were widows that end up having children. Honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children, if she has children, some don't, or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. That's sort of this idea of honoring mother and father. Let the children take care of them first. Now she who is really a widow and left alone, she has no children to take care of her, trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. These things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now back to the widows. Not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Some widows may not have borne children, but they certainly have raised some, <laughs> have brought up children, whether they were physically theirs or not. <coughs> and those are the kind of women who have served well and who can now be served by the church as they continue serving in a spiritual capacity. The point is, they are spiritual mothers in many different aspects. In Luke chapter 11, I think Jesus made the, the clearest statement about this, and this is such a beautiful thing he says here. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. It happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What really matters is not being a physical mother. What really matters is being obedient to God's plan, nurturing and caring for and raising God's children. And we all can have a hand in that. In the text we began with in John 19, we see Jesus on the cross. You imagine his heart breaking as he sees his mother standing there at the foot of the cross, watching him die. She's known about this since the prophecies were first given to her, but so often she seemed to have doubted. She didn't know where all this was, was going in the end. And yet, as he sees her there at the feet of the cross, he sees also John, the disciple whom he loves, and he says, woman, behold your son. <laughs> He'll care for you. And he says to John, behold your mother. He's really showing an act of love for both. This is the disciple whom he loved. This is the mother whom he loved. He wants them to look out for each other when he's gone. You have to remember at this point, his brothers didn't yet believe. We see them in Acts chapter 2, believers, because the resurrection has already happened at that point. But not long before this, they're making fun of him. <laughs> and here he's entrusting John and entrusting his mother to John and the other to the other. What an act of love. In Mark chapter 10, though, I think Jesus sort of intimated this was going to be the case for all of his church. Mark chapter 10, he's just counseled the rich young ruler to get rid of all his goods and he went away unhappy, went away sad because he had many goods. And verse 28 then, Peter says to him, see, we have left all and followed you. 
Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. (laughs) There are to be mothers in the church, just as there are to be brothers and sisters and fathers. There are to be mothers in the church who will help care for gospel messengers throughout every age. No one who has forsaken their family because their family decided not to serve the Lord is going to be without a family. (laughs) I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters here, and I'm so thankful for my mothers who are here and the mothers that are already raising the next generation of the faithful here. This world is given over to feminism. That's the, the mode of the day. Despising the idea of motherhood. Get an abortion. Take care of that problem. Or gay marriage where it's not going to be an issue. Never get married. That's such a thing today. We're just going to live together. We're never going to get married. I don't have to worry about these things. Oh, I can't because it'll ruin my career. I've got career ambitions. Or, well, we'll have them, but we'll just let the state raise them. It takes a village after all. It's a great sentiment, but the idea really is just give them over to the state. They're not ours to raise. We shouldn't have to be worried about that. That's what feminism has brought to this world. Feminism, which you would think would have something to do with feminine uh, nurturing and caring, has rejected the idea of being feminine and a mother. We ought rather to celebrate the beauty of what God has created and mothers because it's an aspect of Him. Nurturing, caring, loving their husband and children, seeking the kingdom together instead of their career. And providing for the welfare of the home. Proverb 31, woman provided for the welfare of the home. And the children called her blessed. And the husband praised her. Galatians chapter 4, we'll finish here. This whole plan was promised through a woman. (laughs) You think about in Isaiah that a virgin would give birth was part of the prophecy. You think about what we see, the miracles that had to happen so many times over and over through barren women, through widows, through foreign women for Jesus' lineage to continue. All that God put into this so the promise could be kept that he had given to Eve, that it would be of her seed, it would be through woman that the Savior would come. Galatians 4, verse 4, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus came as a son to a mother, as a son to the Father. And he desires to bring many more sons to glory. That's why he gave his life. There's something of the nurturing aspect in him as he sacrificed himself for us. And as he asks us to do the same thing, one for another, as we do the same thing by laying down our life for him and taking it up again as we rise in a new life to walk with him. If you're not a Christian, maybe some of this sounds foreign to you. Maybe this doesn't make any sense at all. But this is God's plan, and it's beautiful. And He desires to help you, and He wants to bring you in. Maybe you need a mother. There's plenty of mothers in this congregation. What you need most of all is the Father. What you need is the Father, who is calling you to holiness because He is holy. If you're willing today to confess that Jesus is His Son, that He is of His nature, that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, If you're willing to come forward repenting of your sins, confessing those and having them washed away in baptism, today you can start a new life in this family. If you're a Christian, you struggle with these things. You haven't been what you need to be. You're not nurturing as you ought ought to be. 
You're not encouraging others as you ought to. You yourself are wallowing uh, in sin. If we can help you and strengthen you, you're going to find lots of mothers and lots of caring hearts here in the model of the mother. Whatever your need may be, we'd love for you to bring it, make it known to us. Come forward while we stand and sing this song to encourage your decision. <clears throat>